Welcome, friends and fiends. This is your host, film critic and comedian, Nate Wyckoff. And I'm here to tell you about an exciting giveaway that Warner Brothers Discovery and Colton Classic Films LLC has put together to build your 4K Ultra HD film collection on digital. We are giving away four codes which contain digital 4K Ultra HD versions of Rebel Without a Cause, Maltese Falcon, and Cool Hand Luke. These are films that you absolutely must know as a film buff. You can get this code by being one of the lucky four people we pull from our newsletter list. So go to coltonclassicfilms.com slash newsletter and give us your email and your name and we'll sign you up for the newsletter and we will enter you in the competition. That's all you got to do. So please go ahead and do that. The contest ends on April 30th and we will send out the winning codes on May 1st. Thank you so much for being a listener. And here's your episode of Colton Classic Films Podcast. Welcome to Colton Classic. <laughs> Welcome, friends and fiends, to another episode of Colton Classic Podcast, the podcast where we bring you two thematically linked films, one mainstream and one cult. I'm your host, film critic and comedian, Nate Wyckoff. We've got a nice uh, cozy session here today. Uh, we're going to be talking about... Um, uh, prehistoric ladies part one um and uh i'm excited about both of these movies uh, we have a classic one million years bc starring john richardson and of course the iconic the um uh, this is her most famous role uh raquel welch from 1966 and then we have the 2022 recent release daisy durkins and the dinosaur apocalypse we're going to talk about them both this week, we're talking about One Million Years BC, which is our more mainstream feature. And then next week, we'll talk about Daisy Durkins 3, uh, also known as Daisy Durkins and the Dinosaur Apocalypse. With me today, I have longtime contributor Mandy Longley. How are you doing, Mandy? I'm here, and I will speak from personal experience from One Million Years Ago, because I am approximately that old, <laughs> compared to the rest of you on the compared podcast. To, well, I, I, think, I think you're only a couple of years older than Only me. like four years uh, if, older than if, you. If, like, <laughs> sometimes you know uh, yeah. it does it does occasionally make a difference um yeah so one million years bc this is a movie that i remember seeing when i was very young and it caused a love of fur bikinis in me that it, it's one of those things you can pinpoint like oh that's why i'm weird i saw it has movie. not died yeah like... uh, yeah um it is a hammer film production hammer of course being the sort of rulers of 60s and 70s primarily uh british horror films with uh Christopher Lee's Dracula, um, Peter Cushing's Van Helsing, and myriad other usually period pieces. Uh, just really fantastic stuff. They're legendary. Their films are uh, longtime contributor Tad Mastroianni's, one of his favorite um, film production companies as well. But this is a little bit of a departure. It's one of their oddball projects in a way. Now, some really fascinating uh, aspects of this movie is that there is no really in, there is no dialogue other than shouting of names and the names are not they're either greek or nonsense names um because it is supposedly taking place in prehistory of man uh, it is not accurate to actual time periods there are dinosaurs and various monsters at the same and time hair salons. As, and hair salons and tanning salons and um some very cleverly placed uh, uh sewing 
uh, I think involved. And, and at one scene you can actually, this is really nitpicky, but you can see fillings in people's teeth when they yell really loud, things like that. Uh, <clears throat> that's not to say this is a low budget feature. It actually, it wasn't extremely high budget, but it did have big talent. Uh, as we said, Raquel Welch, um, it had, uh, also not a huge budget for him to work, but stop motion animation legend, Ray Harryhausen did the dinosaur and creature effects for this movie. Uh, if anyone, even if you don't Which know the name, they're actually really amazing. They're like, amazing. That's a part of the movie I like the best. Absolutely. It really, it's like, and this is some of, it's funny because this is sort of him on a budget and yet it's still, it, it, there is no match to the skill of his uh, living creations. I mean, I love stop motion animation, of course, contemporary favorites like Leica Studios who did Coraline and Kubo and and all the and Box Trolls these amazing things but Ray Harryhausen really went for this I mean he was always aiming for realism because his creations were in films featuring live actors and so it, it's always mind-blowing to see his dinosaurs they don't just move their legs and move their neck and maybe move their tail they are studies in anatomy from living creatures. The tails move at the same times as, as they're blinking and moving their hands or their arms or claws or mouths. I mean, it's really impressive. And they breathe. Uh, they breathe. And they breathe. They so. breathe and it's wild. And they don't just fall over and die when they're injured. They, it's just, it's very clear. Right here, he was, an, is, he was a master of this and no one could touch him. And that's why he is so famous for things like, um, uh, his the uh, Jason and the Argonauts, Clash of the Titans, those are all his handiwork. Interestingly enough, they did not use the sort of famed name that was usually attached to his uh, features that he was involved with called Dynamation, because he did not actually own the brand name Dynamation. Um, I was owned by a producer, Charles Schneer, who was involved with many of his other projects. So they tried, uh, Hammer tried to make new names at one point. Some of the production materials will say things like Giant Panimation, but then Panavision Film Company got mad at them. So it's it's this weird thing where a lot of people forget that Harry hasn't had effects in this movie, uh, but they're like all of his work, absolutely worth seeing. We also have a pretty interesting cast. Uh, of course, we have a bikini icon Raquel Welch as um, Lona. We have John Richardson as Tumac, who is uh, the macho man in many uh, 60s and 70s productions. We have um, uh, Bond girl, Martine Beswick, uh, she plays Napondo. Now, these names mean absolutely nothing uh, for the most part. You don't need to know them. I didn't, honestly, the first many times I watched this movie, I didn't realize that they were actually characters' names because they really just shout syllables a lot of the time. Um, and I didn't understand all the time if it was, if they were trying to indicate an action when they were shouting or an actual person's name. It's not until late in the movie when characters are clearly calling to one another and repeating the same phrased over and over again that I think it's clear that they're probably a name. Not important. Uh, now, we don't get many prehistory movies these days. Every once in a while, things will pop up, like I think 10,000 BC, I think uh, was, was early, mid 2000s, somewhere around there. Um, we get some 
old period piece type things that are about as accurate as this one uh, scientifically like uh, Apocalypto by the uh, mad Mel Gibson. And, but we don't really get a lot of these anymore. They did have a really booming period in the sixties into the seventies uh, and in the fifties as well. You got a lot of like, uh, uh, Dinosaurus, uh, which was, you know, there's a dinosaurs and a caveman thawed from an ice freeze. You had lots of stuff like that. You had, um, and then in the 60s and 70s, you had things like this, One Million Years BC, uh, and then a production that followed featuring some of the same cast called Prehistoric Women. They used a lot of the same shooting locations because they they paid a lot for uh, the Ivory Coast where they filmed this and they wanted to use it. And they, and then it sort of died out and then in the 80s, there was a very brief resurgence. We got uh, Clan of the Cave Bear um, from the Gene All novel. That really kicked it off. Um, it gave us that, Quest for Fire. There were quite a few that, that ventured in this vein, which is no dialogue, lots of looking, lots of animal behavior, lots of exaggerated ferocity from human actors. Uh, think Stanislavski smearing bacon fat on his face and pretending to be Othello as a mad savage, which is, of course, incredibly problematic and, and uh, unkind to uh, human beings. But that is what we get in this kind of scenario. I've been talking a lot. I'm going to just quick gloss the plot. I do think there's actually watching this again as an adult, uh, rather than a young, younger kid or, or teenager, I did I was a little surprised at the depth of some of the, the plot messages that came through. They definitely used this plot to try and push through ideas rather than just give us action, action, action. Although the end truly does devolve into pure and utter chaos. Um, <clears throat> the plot is that there is a, a, a clan, uh, a cave dwelling group of uh, Burnett men and women who are savage, ferocious. They leave injured members of their tribe to die. They uh, sort of, the chief will, he gives uh, his one son favors, is favored over the other son, which causes animosity between them. It's a very Macbeth, I mean, excuse me, a very um, King Lear scenario in a way. And eventually one of the sons is kicked out for vicious fighting because his father tries to steal his food and he fights back so he's kicked out he wanders uh what we think is a very long way uh it's it's actually sort of an interesting reveal because you think he's wandered a long way through the desert and he's dying of heat stroke and he has sun blisters and things and then he's found by a blonde tribe which is actually much more civilized they have ceremonies to bury their dead they stick together they treat their women uh much better i'm not sure that it looks particularly equal but it's there's definitely a, it's a lot like america right now you're a second class <laughs> citizen but you're not you know you're you're still mm -hmm. above house cat as daniel tosh would say maybe <laughs> right right um, um yeah but also they had art like they were making yes. jewelry and that kind and of teaching thing, children so. um how mm -hmm. to paint on the wall like they were teaching children yes. and so yeah. it was clearly like a sort of a, a utopia equivalent you know vibe versus the other very savage tribe so uh our john richardson's character is like clearly favored by the most beautiful woman in the tribe raquel welch and so when he acts in a barbaric way 
uh, or I should say a, a savage way, uh, barbarians are much maligned. And he is he starts a fight to essentially be the leader it looks like like steal a spear from the leader who already is wary of him because he has eyes for Raquel Welch's character uh again John Richardson is kicked out of this tribe well Raquel Welch goes with him and even in this departure after trying to kill him the the leader or, or rather the the head warrior I guess not the not the older elder leader but he gives him a spear like all right you're kicked out but take this uh potentially to protect yourself and Raquel Welch's characters leaving with you. They go back to the Savage Tribe and battle ensues. Uh, we get a, a, a definite girl on girl fur bikini fight in a cave um, between uh, Raquel Welch and um, our uh, Martine Beswick, who apparently became very close friends. They actually were supposed to have stunt doubles fight for this scene and they said, no, we'll do it. Uh, <clears throat> much to the cheering of fans everywhere at drive-ins, I'm sure. But anyway, it then sort of becomes very difficult to tell exactly what happens. But the gist is, is that even though he was too savage and not refined for the blonde tribe, he brings a sense of equality and progression, uh, teaching others to make spears. Like he starts to to put in this, he starts to take some of these methodologies and improve his own clan. Well, this angers his uh, his brother, who is then cast out with a group of people and really just forms an attack to come back and take control. Uh, well, the blonde people uh, end up coming there as well, led by Raquel Welch's character after she is sent back to them via a flying pterodactyl creature that drops her into the ocean. It's quite a quite a sky battle there. And there's this big melee. Right when you think things are going to resolve and you're going to have some sort of outcome, uh, the nearby volcano erupts. The entire thing, it just becomes a desolate wasteland of cracked earth and smoke and magma. And we get the, one of those world-ending sort of apocalypse moments uh, that, we, that we sometimes see in films. Uh, and at the end, over the still smoldering ashes, we see all of the people clinging together that are still alive, including members of both clans with John Richardson and Raquel Welch at the head of it, which is an interesting moment. Now, this has a veneer of, of true history about it they try to, it's of course not. Like there's, there's literally nothing realistic about this at all. Perhaps some of the behavior of the tribes, maybe. Um, I think it's a little, a little over the top, but I liked, I mean, you could talk about colonization, you can talk about, you know, uh, the English and, and certain European countries living in relative difficult, harsh conditions, being much more brutal and isolationist and then lashing out and, and, and finding other cultures that have easier methods or more, more advanced technologies and taking from them. Um, you could also see how the idea of progress sort of softening and making kinder, better lives for everyone. Uh, and ultimately, then you see the entire thing smashed by geology, right? Nature. By, by nature completely demolishing and reforming everything. And I think it's actually a really interesting combination of messages that you get from this without, of course, a single line of English or other contemporary language or other real language at all. Mandy, had you seen this movie before? Uh, no, the only, I guess, iconography 
iconography that I've seen from this was the poster from um, Shawshank Redemption. Yep, that's which right. Is a famous uh, plot point from that. Yes, the uh, film has <laughs> has that. Yep. So has yeah, Raquel so it's like, <laughs> oh, that's the movie Raquel Welch is in that he had the poster of. Yeah, I interestingly, I don't know that they would show the movie in a prison. Um, right? It does have like lots of even... like violent rebellions, so I don't think it would probably do well. Yeah. Um, yeah, so what was your expectation going in? And then, I mean, it's... it's. I mean... What I, did you get from it? I thought that they would have, like, more dialogue. Like, yeah. that there would be some form of, like, talking and communication through this long mm-hmm. movie. Um, I was not expecting the uh, the dinosaurs. I mean, even though like right. dinosaur week, <laughs> but like I, I was just not expecting like the iguana footage, like blue screened yes. in. So the first them. the first creature we actually see is, I believe, a blue iguana, a, a large, <laughs> like a superimposed. You know, as they sometimes were. Um, happily unlike something like uh the much the older film king dinosaur uh it doesn't appear that animals are injured in this i mean who knows but it just um, looked like he was going for a stroll yeah he was just like a happy chilling. iguana just happy iguana chilling which is around. nice blue iguanas are, are nice and um i do love though at the end we see uh in in montages of shots when the earth is splitting and stuff we have them clearly moving like the fake earth underneath him so he kind of like drops into a dip and you're gonna see his face like what the hell what the hell are you doing like not concerned just like what what's going on um yeah yeah before we get to the stop motion animation so i wasn't expecting that and then like just the fact that they chose to include like this like a realistic like real animal not Mm -hmm. to scale but like a real animal and Mm -hmm. then also the animation yes i was surprised i was not expecting that they would mix i'm sure that it has to do with the budget um yeah there it's famous although it's interesting because it i totally didn't notice it uh until a rewatch that uh for example harry Hosen said that he did not animate the back legs of the giant turtle which was actually the turtle was probably my favorite of the creatures it's because hilarious it was so great <laughs> um because well and at first too because turtles are you know you can't see them breathe particularly because their chest is is, is boned uh all yeah. over external ones he looked more realistic in many ways and he looks like a turtle but he didn't animate the back legs so he they tend not to show it and when you do see it you actually if you actually look they're just dragging behind it um which again i mean i i see lots of turtles where i live and they they don't they kind of you know yes they walk but it it didn't look shocking to me to see dragging so i don't know how uh realistic or unrealistic that might be uh but the budget was it was of a concern so he put uh you know less effort into certain things than he did on 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 other productions that bore the dynamation brand name where he was he was more fully funded i imagine yeah so anyway that was i guess my expectation i was like i haven't seen it wasn't expecting an iguana wasn't expecting the quality of animation i was expecting them to speak in some way uh for this very long movie uh Mm. yeah so it was like yeah, I don't know. So, so interestingly, the movie is only an hour and 32 minutes, but it feels longer. And um, I do think it's it's partially a pacing issue. I think it's intentional, but it comes from, I think, two problems. No dialogue, right? Mm-hmm. But also, 
the the nature the fact that they wanted to they clearly wanted to hit us over the head with the idea of a truly dangerous environment that was where everything was bent on killing um killing the people there in fact the only animals we the only animal we see i believe other than uh well we see a couple we see a goat that they're trying to hunt we see uh, a warthog uh which they they actually at one point i'm pretty sure john richardson does actually wrestle a warthog um which you know but I, I then it becomes a not real warthog at one point in time i'm sure which because frankly even a friendly warthog it could injure you it's not probably the oh, wisest yeah. thing uh I, I start you know they they cause deaths actually even in the u.s so i don't think that i don't know exactly when the transition is made um but at, we see those two animals uh and even those are the only two animals actually that don't and some fish and an octopus with that they're going to eat that don't try and kill them um, in fact, we even see a vulture that we're given the idea that it's attacking and tearing apart a wounded man uh, who's not dead yet. He's a broken leg or something. Um, everything is trying to kill people. Uh, and we don't see anything else. We don't see little lizards. We don't see birds uh, so much. So it's, it's interesting. Uh, the travel periods of the movie are where I think the pacing issue really hits because when john richardson's character is kicked out of the initial tribe then he wanders a lot for it's not even a huge amount of time but it feels like a lot of time because there's no other characters and they're just giving us the idea that this is a very desolate place mm-hmm. uh, with with spots of and then when he goes to the the blonde tribe which the big joke is is that when raquel welch's character near the end of the movie is hijacked by this terror pterodon or whatever it is and and ends up being dropped in the ocean the tribe is the, the tribes are essentially separated primarily just from a a big jutting cliff that's blocking mm. them from each other um they're actually quite close together if any sense can be made of the geography so the reason is it seems forever is because they go around this big bluff and um and then we see because of the ocean that they actually could just theoretically just cross um and so we don't but again i don't think they were really planning us to pick apart the geography of this place um (laughs) but it's interesting too i do think that they had some sort of nod towards uh anthropological concepts for example the tribe that's struggling and and vicious or whatever they're inland and they're in a very dry looking area on the mountains, which seems very difficult. Whereas the blonde tribe that um, has all of these pleasant social structures is on the water and they live from the water. They fish in the water, they um, play in the water. And in fact, we get this sort of hilarious scene in the second half of the movie when John Richardson and Raquel Welch are back with these the the Burnett tribe, the Savage tribe, and she they go and they're doing like work at a pond of some kind. Like it's it's not in the ocean. It's kind of a dingy looking mm-hmm. pond of water. Puddle. And she sees it yeah. and like loves it and runs in and starts playing and splashing and trying to get them to come in. And it's as and they've never they've clearly never done this before. Don't tell me that um, pisses me off. Like it, I got so yeah. I got irrationally angry at the movie at that point in time. It was a little ridiculous. Um, 
and, and what I wonder, because I, I agree, I thought this was, I'm like, that's ridiculous. You you believe, especially because that group had a bunch of children working. I'm like, yeah. you think kids aren't playing in that? But then yeah. that's when she's attacked by the pterodon. And I think, I don't think it was paced correctly for us to get the impression, but it made me think that we might have supposed to have been clued in that it's da- it's too, it's more dangerous there than it is by the ocean. So... Mm that's why there's this constant state of heightened threat and there is no joy. Um, I think that's what they were going for, but it just seemed a little too, the, the idea that none of them have enjoyed the water uh, was a little much. Like I almost expected like a sea creature to crawl out of it and be like, that's why they don't go in the water. But really it was just, it, it was as though nobody yeah. had ever enjoyed the water before. Yeah. They were like, wait, what is water? Like what you can yeah. go in the water. And then yeah. they went in with their, fur boots on Mm -hmm. and i was just like there's no way that people who wear fur um and like literally require water to survive and are like farming in water or using water for things have not like bathed in water exactly laid Uh, in water although i will say that tribe is for clothing yes and and of course to go into the water a less mainstream film at the time, I'm sure, would have had just nudity abounding. Um, but clearly, mm-hmm. they wanted a wider audience, uh, yeah. so they just went with as much nudity as they could. Yeah. Uh, and apparently, um, the many of the actresses complained because, especially Martine Beswick, because the they were in furs, and so when they were in the water and they got out of the water, it took an eternity mm-hmm. to dry. It stuck to them, and it was heavy, so they would hang. And so uh, I can just imagine the, you know, how frustrating it really was to wear those costumes because while, I mean, while, while they're fun to look at, like you said, the idea of getting fur wet, I, I mean, mm. my cat doesn't even like to go in the water and she dries off pretty quick, you know, um, a just little- Like the smell? Yes, I'm sure it smelled- absolutely, absolutely terrible, terrible. Mm. um this movie was directed by don chafee uh which he did so much tv um he, he died in 1990 but he did uh, everything from the, the mission impossible show to macgyver uh, to um tj hooker fantasy island uh charlie's angels he also was the director of walt disney's animated pete's dragon uh so I would he was a heavy hitter uh in a way he was not he was not something new he also did hammer's uh film the year after this which is not the same but a very similar let's put an attractive woman in a fur bikini um viking queen uh which maybe we'll tackle another day on on cult and classic but so he was you know yeah he did a lot uh very very prolific filmmaker and I, i guess this movie is considered by many to be a cult movie. It is a mainstream release, um, but it was in the era of drive-in where double features abounded and it clearly had those elements of exploitation and sexploitation, you know? Um, I mean, every, and I will say, it's kind of nice and refreshing to see that it's not, not just the women are bearing skin. The men are wearing loincloths um, and, uh, you know, their butts are almost as visible and it, at any given time as anybody else's um and i appreciated too that not 
everyone is, except for the, even the women, actually, they have unattractive people in the cast as well. Of course, <laughs> there are many beautiful people, men and women, who are just basically just looking great. Um, the men are incredibly hair covered, uh, but that's, you know, hey, some people dig that. And yeah, Mandy, like, yep, yes, please. Um, yeah, I, I remember Henry Cavill in uh, Man of Steel when he walks out of, and he's just got all this chest hair. And I think an entire generation of young women and, and many men were probably like, oh, that's not something I'm used to seeing like it. Uh, and I think, but, I feel like but I was again, born in the wrong generation. Yeah, for sure. Like, uh, I, you know, Smokey and the Bandit just had its anniversary, I think, uh, around here. And I'm like, I'm like, yeah, Burt Reynolds is covered in hair. You know, mm -hmm. just a different, different vibe. Yeah. It's like, is that like 60s and 70s? Yep, yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, and, and everybody's got a sheen of sweat on them, but mm -hmm. it's, it, it's, it's working. Very virile. Working. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, uh, much more of a sallow era these days. <laughs> but that's, that's those elements, the, the sort of vile oh, savage. I'm sorry, I'm just like um, immediately picturing like Twilight. <laughs> Twilight, like, yes, sallow, exactly. Like just shimmery. Like, we like, want to see the we want to see the veins and the capillaries in the skin, you know, like no pigmentation, you know, um, no hair, no like. hair, no pigmentation. It's just every you know, if you do have hair, it's better be a helmet, you know, just yeah, uh, uh, yeah. But anyway. this movie, <laughs> side Old hair, hair talk. Yeah, just. <laughs> um, yeah. So this movie uh, have, however, I will say, but the women have uh, beautifully quaffed heads of hair and no <laughs> other hair zero other hair nothing um, no other body hair to keep zero them. zero i mean it did I'm appear pretty... to be a very like desert-esque yeah uh, so it's, environment it's... <laughs> so i don't know why possible, the men are but... so hairy but the women Super. clearly are keeping cool um, yeah what I, I think i think this is one of those it's considered a cult film by many um but i also think that this was one of those crossover films where people could see people who liked the the sort of savage exploitation and sexploitation movies that they would get at the drive-ins and the people who were like oh let's go see an adventure movie you know oh we i love clash of titans let's go see uh the dinosaurs in one million years bc they both kind of came together i do think that they probably hit a sweet spot because you have all this flesh on display um raquel welch looking beautiful uh although if if people familiar with the mid to late 60s they had they often liked that sort of like nude lip and highlight on the face that's a really unnatural like pale almost a pale pink almost a pale blue Orps color like yeah they did appearance. that and they do that on her and it's a very strange thing because i think she's stunning but it's like the whole front of her face ends up being sort of this mask um but it's you know very era appropriate well mm -hmm. 60s era not one million yeah. years bc appropriate right and uh and then you also had sort of the savage violence of these tribes constantly battling each other, primarily the Burnett tribe. We also have these weird things of blonde is good, Burnett is bad, uh, mm -hmm. which is, you know, pretty much standard uh, across the yeah. across the Western world. Um, you and I, Mandy, are both Burnettes, so I guess we're yeah. the savage race. I mean, um, I at least it's have funny. blue eyes, I suppose. But like, it's true. I mean, well, I'm married to a blonde woman, eyes. and she is much fiercer than I am without yeah. a question without a question uh so i, I think we can debunk yeah. that myth right now mm -hmm. um yeah i enjoy this movie uh it is kind of as you said there's no dialogue there is opening narration 
that mm -hmm. is very brief and it just tells us you know um this is a time before time blah, 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 yeah. and, and whatever it's interesting that i'll say two things about the opening uh there's it's interesting that the opening has a lot of very abstract visuals we don't mm -hmm. see people or dinosaurs first we see designs sky some sort of weird time tunnel tube almost um and it's very sort of reminiscent of, of a of later you know a much different level of skill and effort and whatever but of a 2001 a space odyssey you know how many people were tripped out by stanley kubrick when the last mm -hmm. third of the movie is like this long voyage through beautiful yeah. vistas of space mm -hmm. and this has that moment it's really cool and it does set an interesting tone and i actually liked this the the wordlessness of it after the intro does sort of make the 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 jump into a, a relatively languageless environment less abrupt uh i guess but also i'm well aware that i believe it's padding I believe that that, mm -hmm. like much of the shots of, I mean, they chose a really cool locale, so, and they paid for it, so, you know, let's see it, but at the same time, that's also padding. Um, it's, it, I think they were feeling the crunch of, this has no words, so we are going to have to really do our best to make this, um, make this hour and a half long feature a feature. And so we see that here and there. I think overall, I guess we'll move into the recommendations because this is sort of an experience movie. If you like a movie where you're not going to be on the edge of your seat your whole time, the whole time, but I do think that there are some tense moments. I really liked the family battle dynamic of the Burnett tribe. And then they really parallel it with the other tribe in pretty effective ways. And I liked that they were very intentional with how they had John Richardson's outcast character interact with first his home tribe, then sort of go native with the utopian tribe, but then still fall to his, his brutal ways and gets him cast out. But then instead of being the same person or same character, he has changed a bit. Uh, even if he doesn't fully fit in with that world anymore or with that utopian world, he no longer fits in with his original world either, which is a really cool concept that I think everyone who goes to college or travels uh, and comes or moves to a new place with a different culture, they that's true, that's formative. And I liked that aspect. Um, I also love the costuming in general. Yes, it's ridiculous to have the women in bikinis, um, but the male outfits are actually quite interesting. The throws of fur, it's not tailored mm -hmm. to a body. It's more akin to, well, this is what comes off of the animal, <laughs> mm -hmm. you know? Um, that was effective. Uh, I liked that they cast, I re there's one scene before, cause I, I recommend this film, but I do think that if you don't like slow movies, if the, the idea of something that's not nonstop action irritates you, you're not going to enjoy this movie because you will have to sit for a period of time and sort of accept some slow moments before the action moments. Um, but the scene that I absolutely love is John Richardson's character, our leads are with the blonde tribe. We are, but we are pushed back to the original tribe in the mountain and we see the struggling between, or the, the, the no love lost between um, the remaining son and the chief. 
And at one point, the chief is trying to, he's scaling the mountain while the son and the other troops move up to try and get this goat. And the other son ends up seeing the chief like falling and hanging. And instead of helping him, and the chief seems to be well aware that this is going to happen or very possible, he kicks him off the ledge. Mm -hmm. And then he takes the fur of the leader and he goes back as the triumphant leader. And then it goes back to the blonde tribe. And then when we come back, it's evening and we get this scream of one of the women and the king is still alive or the chief is still alive and he's in the doorway and he's battered and injured and spooky looking. And then we cut back to the tribe and I really was like, oh, I'm tense because I do want to see what happens here. Like it's, it actually was a really great reveal and a great moment because I didn't see it coming. And it's interesting because they really played with the dynamic of this, these groups. Um, when do the you chief think comes- that they, I'm sorry to interrupt you. No, you keep going. that they tried to use like the earlier fall where like the main character didn't die Mm-hmm. as foreshadowing for like the chief not dying because like that wasn't super clear but like he also is like yeah kind of, like a I, repeat moment y- yeah or i wondered too if they were actually paralleling it to that very first injury when we kind of are told through uh, basically they trapped the, the warthog in the first mm-hmm. scene with them and then when they're carrying it out one of the troop falls back into the yeah. hole and breaks his leg and they leave him to mm-hmm. die um yeah. it's sort of like they don't go for their fallen their fallen members and mm-hmm. yet but what if the fallen member comes back and i think mm-hmm. you're right i think it could be it could be a parallel then but I mean, also it's just it like the a, same thing kind of happens twice right and, and they both but come I, back but it, but it wasn't like the way that we have movies now where like you're very much expecting yes that foreshadowing or that repeat because of the way that they shoot it or they like set up the moments for you to like kind of understand it as as the moment arrives um and but i was like as you were describing i'm like oh wait it happened two times because he dies and like wanders off and then comes back yeah and then like again he falls and like comes back and sort of it's interesting too because then you can make the the argument uh, that the difference is, is the king or the, the chieftain or whatever, the father, uh, mm-hmm. he falls and he comes back. He doesn't go, but he doesn't expand his learning, right? He doesn't, mm-hmm. he doesn't leave and learn something and bring it back. He just comes back worse for wear. Whereas mm-hmm. the other, the son f- falls and then leaves, yeah. learns, comes back more prepared and more capable. Mm-hmm. Um, that is a really interesting parallel. And I imagine that that is intentional because what I think you're getting at, this movie does not hand you anything. Um, Mm -hmm. And I love that because I feel like it works with the narrative of the story. It is a savage, unkind um, world where essentially you must fight to survive and fight to thrive. And we as the audience are sort of expected to draw our own conclusions. And that's something that really not only now is that not common in film um but i think in the 60s it wasn't particularly common either we did get it with especially with things like um biker movies for say or or uh, uh you know easy rider films where you're it's not clear who the heroes are um mm-hmm. you're forced to sort of it pushes you to think about things that if they were structured differently you know if it was black and white you would just forget mm-hmm. um and this i think does the same thing However, because of the limitations that no language has, and I appreciate that it has no language. I appreciate that attempt. 
But because of that, it's even less friendly, I think, for the casual viewer. Um, so I guess that's a good way to put it. If I think if you are just a casual viewer of film, you probably will not stick with One Million Years BC. But if you're interested in any of the dynamics we've talked about and sort of being able to, to parse out bits of a movie and, and create your own literary theories on it, this is probably a good one for you. So I give it a recommend with that context. Mandy, would you recommend 1966, One Million Years BC? And if so, why and to who? I would recommend it under two conditions. One, that you do like what we did, where you, a couple different friends watch it, and then you have a discussion about it. Like, what does it mean? What do you take from it? What do you like, dislike, whatever. Because it is so far removed from kind of the norm of other movies, it is going to be more thought-provoking and drive more conversation between you and whoever you're discussing your films with. And the other instance that I would recommend it in is as we kind of semi-exit COVID and people are starting to maybe have parties or themed parties again, put it on the background. Like that's the thing that people used to do like mm -hmm. in the before times. And this would be an awesome, um, crazy, like either like concept or just like mood setting movie to like put on repeat in the background at like a weird party. I love that, that idea. Throw. Instead of a toga party, have it, mm -hmm. you know, like a, a fur party or something. Mm -hmm. Like I, or, I actually really love that idea. Um, and and you're right because it has these periods of sort of mm -hmm. non-intrusive visuals, and then it has these moments of pure wackadoo, you know, mm -hmm. between the stop motion and the um, and the grunting character, you know, big sweaty grunting men rolling yeah. around, uh, and occasional bikinis. It really is the kind of thing that they'll have. Everyone will at some point have their eye caught and be like, "What am I? What are we watching?" But there's no distracting dialogue or dialogue right. to follow, so mm -hmm. it's perfect just background like imagery and ridiculousness, mm -hmm. and almost like any five to 10 minute bit that you happens to catch your attention like that's good and then it's going to move on to something else and like you can move on like back to the party as well i'm gonna i'm gonna say too i'm gonna use this opportunity as i often do to say terrence malick failed with tree of life i hate that movie i've said it again and again on this podcast um but in that film it sort of deals with like uh time and the the sense of um our own past and lost meaning or, or searching for meaning and being an adult and realizing that everything from your youth is is maybe different than you has different meanings than you thought but at one point in time that movie veers from our cast of brad pitt and bryce dallas howard and all these talented people who are forced to do stupid things in this in that movie and it goes all the way back to the birth of time and then forward again to dinosaurs and it has the most ridiculous scene of dinosaurs I've ever seen, which in any other context, I actually would have loved. But because I felt the movie was such a disaster, I was struggling with it. That movie, I feel, actually was going for something similar to what this makes us. To think about our behavior and the progression of us as a species, as well as um, how we treat each other under difficult circumstances and it has dinosaurs this film hit more questions like hit more answers and questions for me than terrence malick's history of life so i'm going to make that uncommon parallel uh and and throw this one out there guys thank you so much everyone for listening to cult and classic podcast this has been part one of prehistoric ladies 
And next week, we'll be talking the film Daisy Durkins and the Dinosaur Apocalypse from this year, 2022. As we record this, uh, I also want to say that today is the day that the Supreme Court in the United States uh, overturned Roe versus Wade, which uh, essentially opens the floor to states demolishing um, not just abortion, but also sexual health, contraceptive, all sorts of things specifically aimed at women. And it seems like the next step is things like gay marriage. Uh, and, and we really need to be unified in pushing back against this. This is not why the Supreme Court was developed uh, and uh, politicization of candidates and uh, our extreme uh, politicized frankly, presidential nominees and our lack of, of understanding of what was happening have caused an extremely one-sided, right-wing conservative uh, majority in our Supreme Court, which has effectively made it uh, impossible to get good decisions, uh, things that should be made to, to better our progress as a society, the equality of people of color, of people of all uh, gender identities, sexual preferences, um, men, women, everyone is affected by this. Uh, and what's going to happen is it is continually going to be a case where the Supreme Court pushes aside cases that would have some sort of positive outcome that they would call liberal. Uh, and instead, they're going to make decisions on these other landmark cases like Roe vs. Wade that are only going to take away our rights and hurt the people that we love and ourselves. So mm -hmm please push back. We all have to push back. Um, go online, look at our Instagram, Colton Classic Podcast. And we, we try and share lots of resources. There are resources to help uh, get contraceptives to people in states where this is hurt. Uh, states do not necessarily have to offer um, sexual health and wellness and contraceptive and lots of, uh, and as well as abortions um, under much of their health coverage now because of this overturning states that are already um, antagonistic towards women and women's rights are going to use this and they are going to be quick about it. So find these, find where to send money, find ways to help people get the care they need, whether it's abortions, contraceptives, uh, the morning after pill, whatever it is, we need to help our fellow citizens who are being injured by our failure to make sure that our government is actually serving us. So let's do what we can and make sure that you vote. Uh, lots of primaries are still coming up in states. I know Maine is in September. Uh, all of these things are incredibly important. So if you ever have any questions on that, if you ever need help, please don't hesitate to reach out to Colton Classic Podcast on Instagram, Facebook, ColtonClassicPodcast at gmail.com. We are a podcast and we absolutely do not have all the answers, but for people in need, listeners, we would be happy to try and, and point you in the right direction. Thank you so much for listening. Catch us next week with part two of Prehistoric Ladies and to play us out as always is the chud with all about evil. Hey everyone, thanks for listening to Colton Classic Podcast. This podcast is important to me, but what's more important are the rights 
privileges and freedom from violence of everyone in this country and in this world. And that means supporting Black Lives Matter. If you'd like to make a donation, please go ahead and visit coltonclassicpodcast.com where we have a list of places you can donate and help out. And please stay safe.